You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show with you once again from the sunny climes of Bahrain on what is uh, the final day of the inaugural turf series, much more of which later in this program. But we need to check in back home to the UK where there is some pretty wild and woolly weather forecast. And as you're listening to this, you might just be starting to experience it. Rishi Passad joins me from, from his home in England. Uh, Rishi, what's the, what's the story today and are we going to have any racing at all? Um, I think it should, well, it's, it's very unlikely we will, and those people who haven't decided now, I mean, it's still fairly early in the morning, it's um, uh, still to be confirmed that ah, meetings ah. are off. Just getting through, just getting report through now, as we speak, Lingfield is the last one down, so Kelso's gone, Fakenham's gone, Lingfield yeah. abandoned due to red weather warning and high wind gusts. Great. That's a pretty sensible decision, isn't it? A very sensible decision. I think that's the, that's the wise thing to do, considering how... Uh, this morning, uh, when waking up, the increased intensity in, in the storm that's arriving has also uh, included a red warning across the south of England now, where it hadn't quite got uh, that, that to that stage last night. But um, it's, it's a sensible decision. And the most important thing is everyone stays at home, horses and uh, all the staff and all the people who would have gone uh, are out of harm's way. Fingers crossed everyone gets through it. Yeah, I hope you're all okay. 10 o'clock till 3 o'clock GMT, British time uh, today. A, a red weather warning uh, for um, likely risk to life if you are out and about outside. So stay in, stay wrapped up, stay warm, stay safe um, if you can. There won't be any racing in the UK today, and that's very sensible. There will, however, here in the Middle East. In fact, there's an awful lot of racing in the Middle East, which we'll talk about a little mm. bit uh, later on. But Rishi, key news from Britain today. The Racing Post, in an important interview, Bill Barber's conducted with the chief executive of the British Horse Racing Authority, Julie Harrington, and she outlines some of her challenges in terms of trying to get anything done whilst her own governance structure is still in a somewhat fluid state. What should she do? What does she need to do? What does the sport need to do? <laughs> uh, this is the age-old question of what to do. But uh, reading through that article, it is clear that Julie Harrington has taken as much time as possible to take stock of the situation whilst trying to progress. Um, and I think if we're mitigating on why some people are saying, you know, well, we haven't seen much of Julie Harrington, there hasn't been much effectiveness for VHA, it's, it's clear that they're operating within or with constraints that are very hard to manage. And primarily that one that we talk about or that you've um, referred to where uh, last year with the whole um, arena racing and the potential for more races and more income, et cetera, and the horseman's group, uh, perhaps not well nullifying that that pro, uh, prospect has highlighted the fact that there's a, a complete or there is significant lack of trust in the bha's role within racing obviously further down the line people want the bha to have a regulatory role um obviously their role at the moment is far far wider than that and that has been reviewed. Julie Harrington is clear that it's important to get their own house right before they can go ahead and try to remedy 
other areas of the sport. So it's a very awkward situation mm. for her at the moment. But I think I think she's going about it the right way. She's it's a, it's an inward looking <clears throat> uh, approach at the moment to make sure that everything at the BHA can be as best as as it possibly can in order uh, to be in a good position for other people not to point fingers and say you know get your own house in order before you start telling us what to do. Yeah, and part of getting that house in order is that there are several senior positions within the organisation that have, have not been filled or not, not been replaced since their previous incumbents left. You know, senior communications director, that, that role hasn't been, hasn't been filled. The executive director's role hasn't been filled. And there are several others as well. But as you say, until they figure out, well, until the stakeholders in the sport, the racecourses <laughs> and, the, and the horsemen figure out what they want to do with their authority, with their governing body, the BHA, then it's very difficult for them to, to operate. And interesting, Judy Harrington, personality-wise, she's you know, naturally a, quite, a, quite a sort of warm personality, but she's not a big media performer. And I think she's made that point in the piece as well. Sometimes it's not always... You know, people have different management styles. Nick Rust was a big media performer, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Julie's a, a little bit more, uh, I, think, I think, understated uh, in my experience so far. Um, the other thing I, I like about what I read uh, and what I've heard from Julie Harrington is the fact that she's quite keen to use her vast experience in other other areas of sport. You know, obviously she mentions British cycling, where getting their house in order and the governance structures of British cycling uh, was really important and uh, avoided uh, to avoid any issues that may come up because of that. Um, and using that experience is part of the reason I think why we, we've got Julie Harrington in this job if she can't come in and be able to utilize all the experience and, and intelligence that she's garnered in other areas of sport over the years then what, what's the point so hopefully that's going to work out but it does seem a little bit stagnant at the moment you know from an outsider's point of view it does seem as if we we are on as she said, 2022 is, is pivotal but it seems that we're in a position here where we're just waiting for something to happen Absolutely. And it's beholden on those stakeholders to, to get a move on and decide what it wants its own authority to be, whether it wants it to be a regulator, regulator and or governor. And if so, then to, mm. to give it some muscle to flex. Two important bits of news coming in from the US. Now, they're not going to get massive headlines, but they could have significant ramifications for the sport. The first one, Rishi, is that um, the US Jockey Club has rescinded this idea of a, a, a cap on amount of mares that can visit one stallion. They were going to have a 140 mare cap and they've rescinded that rule, having been challenged by three significant studs. I mean, Coolmore were, were vocally opposed to this. And understandably so. Um, obviously, from a commercial point of view, it's a significant uh, restriction to cap <clears throat> individual stallions to 140 mares uh, when it's pretty obvious, judging by the way racing... Oh, the, the bloodstock industry has gone. Uh, you want to be able to maximise the earning potential of a stallion, um, and it's done on merits. You would also you'd ha also have to say, you know, if a stallion is uh, doing extremely well with its progeny, uh, and the statistics are great, then it becomes a far more attractive proposition. So it's against the rules, or you'd feel it's against the, the spirit of competition to limit. Uh, individual stallions to 140 mares, but um, that has, as you say, been rescinded, much to the delight of a number of uh, significant breeders. Uh, yes, I, I suppose the the counter argument would be that it, it was it was done primarily for for welfare reasons rather than reasons of uh, of anti competitiveness, so that you know a stallion's lifespan would be 
uh, would be longer and that the breed itself would not be ultimately significantly weakened by a flooding of the same blood, sometimes not, not great horses either, through the, through the market. So you, you, could, you could see the methodology behind it, but I guess it's, it's unworkable, unworkable legally according to, according to the rescinding of this initial, initial plan. Yeah, ultimately, I, I would, if I had to choose, I'd be on the side that you've just um, highlighted, the fact that, I, <laughs> I mean, in general, with the sport of horse racing, across the board, I always think more is worse, um, which is, you know, we, we've talked about fixture lists, prize money, etc. Um, that's, that's generally my, my principle. But in, in this particular case, I, I do feel that, you know, in terms of the legal and meritorious elements of it, it's very difficult to keep it as a, as a cap of 140 because of the nature of, 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 the way, of, of the way the bloodstock industry is run. It's done on merit and it makes it a little bit easier to, I think, justify it. Let's talk about what's happening in Oklahoma because this is quite significant too. Mm. Yes. So in Oklahoma or the Oklahoma Horse Racing Commission, uh, have passed a rule. Uh, it's, it emulates the globally categor- uh, recognized Category 1 interference philosophy. Now, just boiling it down, basically, uh, if, a, if, the stewards, if there's interference uh, in a race and the stewards determine a horse or rider has caused interference and finished in front of the horse that it interfered with, and if not for the interference, the horse would have finished behind the horse it interfered with, then the horse should be placed immediately behind the horse which interferes. So basically, it's if a horse, if, a, if you, you get a situation where a, a race is run, there's been interference, one horse has won significantly well, the horse that's been interfered, a minor interference has been beaten. The rules as they stand means that that horse that won by miles will be disqualified and placed behind that horse. But now, uh, if it doesn't appear in the, in the steward's view that that horse would have finished the, the beaten horse, <clears throat> apologies, would have finished in front of that horse that won by miles, then they have the ability not to change that result. And it, it just brings a little bit more um, uh, harmonization with, with rules uh, across, across the states. But also, it, may, it seems to me it makes more sense uh, in, in that a, a horse that wins on merit, ultimately, will, will be allowed to keep that race rather than a horse that be, being placed behind a horse that's been well, well beaten. Crystal clear. It's all right. I, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Effectively, they're, they're going towards a more European, more, a more global um, view. Interestingly, at the same time, as I, I, I perceive Britain to be moving, m- moving not away from its current model, but certainly being more punitive on, on horses that do interfere with others. And I think there is a, a happy medium somewhere, I think. I think there is, uh, but I, I think that seeing this particular uh, approach now by the Oklahoma Racing Commission suggests that they, they do understand that it is draconian to <laughs> suggest that a horse causing interference early on in a race and then winning by a, a fair distance and the horse that it interferes with has been, uh, is, going, is going to benefit somehow. Uh, it, it's, it's just the wrong rule. And, and I do think that it's a, it's a step forward in, in the right direction. But whether we'd actually harmonize internationally, I, I'm, it's, it's so far away that it's, it's hard to imagine that it'll happen. You know, it'd be great if it could happen soon, but I, I can't see it. Well, Pat Cummings, a friend of the show, will be very pleased. He's the director of the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation. They've been pushing and pushing 
for, for category one rules in the United States for so long. And this, I, I know it's one state, but this will be a, a major breakthrough for him and the you know, ultimate desire to harmonize experience <laughs> rules around the world. Um, Rish, what's happening in the UK this weekend if the weather dies down? What's the, what's the, the, the key race that we need to focus on? Well, hopefully the weather does die down and we can get Ascot underway on Saturday. That's a really good card. Um, the Ascot chase looks a really good race. A lot of, a lot of our favourites, a lot of horses that we know quite well. I mean, there's Dashiell Drasher, Fakir Duderi. I think he actually came over yesterday, so thankfully no dangers of travelling for Fakir Duderi. Uh, there's St. Calvados, Fanny Destreval for Deutsch and Williams, Mr. Fisher. Um, I quite like the old boy Dashiell Drasher, who of course won the race last year, and he just—he's he, just a horse that you can rely on around Ascot. So, if I had to choose in the Ascot Chase, it would be him. There's also the Kingwell at uh, at Wincanton. I'd rather be on the side of Goshen here. I know he's short price, but going this way at Wincanton, I think it's it's going to be absolutely perfect for him, and there should be enough juice in the ground uh, to suit him. Um, Adagio is interesting though because obviously he's had a wind up this season and uh, he's had a, a good long break so I'll be interested to see how he goes ahead of Cheltenham and I really I mean I really hope this is the last word for the moment on the on the Tiger roll deal but Barry Hearn um, well known well respected sport, sporting promoter who has got a, a deep interest and love uh, of and for horse racing has said uh, the Grand National without Tiger Roll is a bit like Wimbledon without Roger Federer um, it's an eye-catching quote I'm not quite sure I agree with him. I know what he means. Mm. I don't think that, in my own view, that comparing Tiger Roll running in the National to Roger Federer taking part at Wimbledon is quite the same thing. Roger Federer is in the eye of the public the majority of the time. Tiger Roll has only been in the eye of the public at national time and on a couple of occasions. Um, I don't think it carries quite the same impact as a Roger Federer pulling out of Wimbledon. Uh, admittedly it's a slightly different story now as Roger Federer is, is getting older and more injured etc um, but it'd be you know it's, it's Djokovic pulling out of um, of the Australian oh, Open yeah. obviously that's a different side story but it, in terms of the impact it, it's quite a it's it's huge around the world because everyone knows who Novak Djokovic is and he's he's involved all through the year in top tennis tournaments, whereas Tiger Roll's just involved in, in the one big race, and it's the one big race of the year, the, the Grand National that goes beyond racing. I don't think it's the same impact. And I do think I'm, I'm on the side of, uh, you know, I thought the whole uh, stating about the wet horse, the issue of welfare, et cetera, with the weight he's carrying, I thought that was far, far beyond uh, what was necessary, you know. Be, be annoyed about the mark you get, but there's no need for that. That's, that's so far-fetched um, and reaching for an argument. Entire. I, I, I couldn't potentially even try to draft a, a, a logical thought process to come up with, uh, well, yeah, he's carrying that weight more, so it could be. No, no, there's no way that I could think of why that would be a welfare issue. Uh, and, and I suppose the, the one thing to point, point out where Barry Hearn's probably coming from from a broadcast point of view, I mean, you're somebody who's broadcast Wimbledon for I don't know, a couple of decades now, um, mainly interviewing Roger Federer, ironically enough, and, and has, done, has done the Grand National for, for just about everybody. Um, in, ter in terms of promoting the event, it just, I suppose if you're losing one big story, it takes away a sort of a key portion of your sort of um, story potential for your broadcast, doesn't it? But you should be able to find a, a few good ones with 40 runners. Well, that's exactly it. And, you know, the challenge of, of, of 
broadcasting and promoting the race is finding something. And I, I, I get Barry Hearn's point entirely that, you know, removing one of the obvious uh, promotional uh, material or promotional stories is, is, is disappointing. Yes, I, I totally get that. But the broadcasters, the media, uh, the race course, the industry, they've been in this situation many times before where they've had to promote something without the tiger role in it. You know, eventually Red Rum stopped racing, retired from racing, and they had to promote the national without Red Rum. Eventually Frankel retired, and we had to promote racing without Frankel. It happens quite often, and somehow we, we, we are able to do it. So I, I don't... I don't see why this should be such bad news. It's mm. just a challenge and let's get on with it. So here in Bahrain at the end of what's been a, a very interesting journey uh, this season, the inaugural running of the Bahrain Turf Series, uh, which takes place today, Friday, uh, the last leg. And the executive director of the uh, Rashid Equestrian um, and Racing Club, Salman bin Rashid Al-Khalifa, joins me now. Uh, Sheikh Salman, how do you reflect on the, on the last few weeks? Yeah, Nick, thank you for having me. Uh, it was, um, yeah, I think uh, an exciting uh, experience for everyone involved. And uh, um, it, the last uh, couple of um, weeks were, um, you know, extremely, um, you know, I think, um, full of exciting races and, um, and, and some supporting events that were um, around the races. You know, I think we were very happy to see all these connections uh, here in the Kingdom of Bahrain. And, uh, you know, during these difficult times, really, with the, with the protocol and, and travel restrictions, to, to see, uh, I mean, a really good number of, of owners and trainers um, visit, it's, it's really encouraging. And, you know, you stated before your ambition not only to be you know, a, a real growth nation in terms of horse racing, but also sort of trying to tie in more closely with other GCC countries. Is that ambition slowly being realised, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've always been saying that, uh, you know, we will always complement um, e each other. And I think... Um, you know, by, by having these races uh, in this part of the world, um, it just gives a lot of options for trainers in, in Europe and England to, um, to to pick and choose from, and it falls in the perfect time of the year. Um, and yeah, and, and we're very happy to see the interest is there, and um, and, I, and I think we will go back and, and have a look at everything we've done and. Uh, um, just make sure that uh, you know, we have a good product in place uh, to, to present to, to these trainers. Yeah. And Sheikh Salman, obviously the, the Bahrain Turf Series last leg today, really important catering for just slightly below top-notch horses, sort of mezzanine-level handicap, as you might call them, but very competitive races. The uh, the big race, you catered for really smart horses in November. We saw that you know, two very good uh, horses fighting out the finish last year and Lord Glitter's grand horse has gone on to win again at the top level in, in Dubai. Do you have any plans to sort of expand that day and, and to sort of burnish that festival a little bit? Yeah, we've been looking at a lot of options, uh, really, Nick. I mean, we are going to, I think, uh, right after we're um, done from the Turf Series, go back with, with the whole team and have a sit down and just um, discuss options. The, the plan is always going to be to progress. Um, we will always try to, um, you know, look at options that are, um, you know, appealing for, for trainers. We've been, you know, I think constantly talking to trainers and trying to get feedback as, as much as possible. 
I, I think it's very smart to to just you know make sure we get it right. Um, and uh, yeah, I can tell you confidently, there's a lot of interest, and uh, and and a lot of people would like to uh, you know have uh, you know, racing in different uh, racing jurisdictions. And um, you know, as you know, there are trainers who enjoy traveling with their horses, um, and uh, you know, we will always think of ways and means of developing our program um, and, and attracting more footfall to the kingdom um, uh, for you know attracting top quality horses to participate um, and um, yeah I, I think it's a beautiful experience and and, and honestly just the, the feedback I mean all these uh, even uh, it's just a you know, it's really encouraging to see um, the the interest in in some of the trainers, and and uh, um, you know, very happy you know that uh, a few uh, uh, European uh, horses um, had um, some luck in in some of our local graded races, and then um, you know, William William Jarvis has a very consistent uh, horse that um, I was running today as well and I think this point system with the series is, is excellent I mean he has a good chance of of, um, of winning the bon- the series bonus which is which is great um, and uh, yeah I think comp- competition in the kingdom of Bahrain is, is you know it's racing is very competitive and um, I think it's been exposed to the world for the first time and uh, and trainers will go back and I think uh, uh, sort of um, try to pick out uh, the right caliber of horse to participate for next year. Well I was going to say it's amazing who you run into here in Bahrain but maybe not because the whole point is that we're attracting some of the most high profile trainers and owners uh, to the kingdom for the Bahrain Turf Series last leg today and a, a horse who hasn't got his head in front yet but is already set to land a big prize as the sort of most consistent horse through the series. It's trained by William Jarvis, a horse called Arkub, uh, owned by Emma Banks. Am I allowed, Emma, to say Emma Banks of Lady Bothorpe fame? Is that all right? Is that going to be okay for the rest of time? Apparently it's going to have to be, isn't it? I, des- I think all my horses are getting to the point where they're going to have to up their game so that they don't get called, you know, that horse in Lady Bothorpe's colours. <laughs> but just to slightly correct you, yes. the horse is owned by my father, not by me. Yes, who I have met, Richard, your father, and he's here yes, with you. Sir. And he, uh, it, it's just worth re- reminding everybody, he, he comes from a pretty illustrious racing family himself, doesn't he? Absolutely, yes, he does. His brother, Michael, uh, trained some of his own horses, uh, owned a couple of good ones, and uh, was a member of the jockey club, chairman of Huntingdon, stewarded around. And my his his father, my grandfather, Sydney, had horses, and the Sydney Banks Hurdle at Huntingdon is named after him. So, yeah, these horses have got a little bit to live up to still. They have, certainly. Uh, how are you and your dad enjoying the, the experience here in Bahrain? We're having a whale of a time. It's it's fantastic. We're being looked after so well. It's a beautiful place. Um, we went to the race course yesterday, saw our coup just do a little canter. Um, you know, the barns are fantastic. Staffing's awesome. I can't say enough good things about it. It's been a lovely experience. I think we've been really lucky that we've got probably the best of the weather of the series. So as I speak to you, I'm sitting outside the hotel by a swimming pool with the sun beating down on me. You can't really go wrong, particularly given the weather that I think England's having at the moment. Yeah, it's We chose the right place to be today. Definitely. It's pretty wild and woolly back home today. Is there a, is there a chance that our Coupe can, can round it all off in glorious fashion? New jockey today, David Egan taking over. 
Yep, David taking over. Um, I think there's every chance. You know, who knows? This is racing, and I've I've got to the point where I never believe anything's going to happen until it does. But the horse looks fantastic. He's feeling really well. James, who works for William, who's been here the entire time. I mean, what dedication, because he's got family at home, but he's spent you know all the, a few months now out here with our coop. He says he's never felt better. So, you know, fingers crossed. It would be it would be fantastic to go out on a high with a win as well. But he's done us proud whatever happens today. And I'm fascinated to know how you how you now sort of feel about your involvement in, in racing and of course breeding, given that, that Lady B is has retired. Lady Both was retired and has has been or had no she hasn't been covered by Dubai yet or she's about to be covered by Dubai. And I believe it's happening today. Ah, oh my word. It's so, happening today. So, yes. All going well. So, so how how do you approach this year? Do you approach it with the same level of excitement or or not? Yeah, I mean, I think there's more. What it wouldn't be trepidation. Uh, there's there's not a horse in the stable at the moment in the you know in the yards that I go well. This is a shoe, you know, a shoe in. This is a sure thing. But I've got four two year olds and I've got an unraced three year old. Um, I've got my first homebred running this year. So Mrs. Gallagher, who was the first horse that I retired to start, has a dark angel filly who William's training and is pretty excited about. And she seems to be quite precocious like her mother. So fingers crossed. You know, the, the dream's alive, isn't it? So that's why, that's why you get yearlings or that's why you breed a horse because there's the hope there that you can get another Lady Bothorpe or another Mrs. Gallagher. Um, so no, I love it. But you know, I mean, win, lose or draw, I've, I really now just love racing. You know, coming, coming to Bahrain is so fantastic because I get to meet more people. You know, it's a little bit like being on tour with a with a band there's a whole you know if you go on a traveling tour there's a whole group of people that you maybe see to smile at at a race course but you never spend any time and now you know as you know we, you know, we all had dinner together last night and you know making forming relationships and getting to know more people and just learning more about the whole thing i find absolutely fascinating and of course, during that period in sort of 1920 or back of 19, beginning of 20, all through the, the latter stage of 20 and the most of 21, your horses were doing brilliantly well, um, but your acts were not twiddling their thumbs, but not doing a right lot. And certainly not in terms of concerts and most of the world was, was shut down. Does that mean you're going to be ridiculously busy now trying to catch up? It is very, very busy, yes. Um, I think as as the world opens up again and we're seeing, obviously, you know, full-capacity gigs happening in the UK now, in America, Europe is slower and, and other parts of the world, Australia, Asia, are slower still just because of the different levels of you know Omicron and, and all the various COVID variants. But there are a huge amount of shows coming up and there seems to be a real appetite for it. You know, I think before Christmas we were seeing quite a lot of, of drop-off of people not turning up even if they had a ticket. But I think that's because you know, they had the fear that they were going to go and test positive and not be able to have Christmas. Now, it feels better, doesn't it? It feels like we're all just getting on with this and you've got to be very unlucky to really be affected if you've been vaccinated. So... Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, bizarrely, last year was the right year for Lady B to do as well as she did because I never had a conflict 
as to whether I should be at a festival or a show, um, you know, I could go to the races every time and not have any concerns about it. Not a bad way yeah, of spending your time. Year, this year might be a bit more difficult, but trust me, if I've got a two-year-old that can go to Royal Ascot, I will be there. It is Friday, which of course means we take our weekly stock of the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings. And it's a little while since we brought you the updated top 10. So here you go. From the United States, currently residing in Dubai, at 10 is the Doug O'Neill-trained Hot Rod Charlie. Quite impressive in a trial race for the World Cup last time. At 9 is the former Japanese Triple Crown winner, Contrail. At 8 is Golden 60, who runs this weekend in Hong Kong. Lost his unbeaten streak last time. 7 is Baid for William Haggis. 6 is Palace Pier. He's off to stud. 5, Nature Strip who's the world's highest-rated sprinter. He also has an important assignment this weekend, as you heard from uh, Aussie J.A. McGrath yesterday. Four is Gran Allegria. Three, Nick's go now retired. Two is Japanese star Euphoria. And hanging on to his number one spot is the recent Pegasus World Cup winner, Life is Good. But, James Willoughby, for how much longer as we start by talking about a Golden 60, who spent much of last year residing at number two and never quite getting to number one. He's now down at number eight, having tasted a rare defeat. If he gets his career back on track tomorrow, what happens? Right, well, the, the rankings at the top of the charts are now becoming very compacted. This is due to the retirement uh, of a few key horses, most notably St. Mark's Basilica, which has now affected the rankings because 100 days after a horse's last run, he or she drops out of the figures. And that has left the top of the charts quite close together, quite closely bunched. Now, Golden 60 sits at number eight currently, and he has a 2,026 ranking points, just for regular for people who are new to the rankings, uh, available on thoroughbredracing.com. These are not just abstract numbers, but actually reflects the horse's probability of beating other horses in the list uh, if they were to meet on the track. Now, he's on 2,026. Second place, Euphoria, the top-notch Japanese three-year-old from last year, 2,063. So that is... A, a, a span that he will probably golden 60 with a convincing win he'll probably bridge and so he may well resume his uh, former seat of power at number two i can't see him reaching life is good at number one who's got 2086 points the reason being that the field ranged against golden 60 this weekend is just not world class no, it's not. The horse that beat Golden 60 last time is a horse called Waikuku, who is a seven-year-old who's pretty exposed. And Waikuku actually runs earlier in the card at Shartin in another group one, the Queen Silver Jubilee Cup. Now, I'd imagine, James, Waikuku was languishing down in the 400s or something before last time. But he, where's he clawed himself up to now? Where might he go if he wins again? Well, a good victory for him would probably see him in the, the higher reaches of the world's top 20 after 17 group race wins and just four wins, you'd think, well, what's this horse doing in the top 60? But the point is, his form is pretty good. Hong Kong, an increasingly strong uh, province as far as uh, horse race form is con it's concerned. And Waiku is a pretty solid citizen after three top-notch wins there. He hasn't quite reached 120 on our ranking scale, which is nominally the threshold for a horse to be required, uh, regarded as, uh, as top class in, in, in terms of uh, uh, the global rankings. But he's getting there. And what I call the Frankel effect, which is the way that the tendency for a, a brilliant horse 
to create this hierarchy of success underneath him when he's not there other horses that he has been beating look like him if you will um, we saw that from Excelebration, of course, in Frankel's time. Uh, that is forming around Golden 60, and it's giving his ranking increasingly over time a bit of a boost. His form is working out well, in other words. And Waikuku would give it another significant boost. So Waikuku and Golden 60, both apparently with relatively straightforward tasks in the two Group 1 races in Hong Kong, which could further bolster their positions in these rankings. James, as I spoke with, with Jim yesterday, it's very much in the East this weekend. Uh, Home Affairs versus Na- Nature Strip is a Waller on Waller, Chris Waller on Chris Waller clash in the Lightning Stakes at Flemington. This is, this is the old story. We've talked about this in, in the rankings a lot. A, an established horse in Nature Strip at five against an, an Ari Vist. And uh, what is the computer going to say if, if James McDonald has got it right and, and Home Affairs beats Nature Strip? Uh, the computer will be massively impressed uh, with Home Affairs, not because it's not impossible that Home Affairs does it. He was really impressive in the Coolmore Stud Stakes after all, but more because... The rankings require proof from multiple races that a horse really is as good as his best performance suggests that he is. And in this case, one more convincing win from Home Affairs will really mean the rankings take him seriously. He will go flying up the charts if he wins this Lightning Stakes. Well, what a race it is. Most of Australia's top sprinters, including the uh, the one, two, three in last year's Everest, taking each other on um, over five furlongs and it's a brilliant race and whoever wins it is going to get a, a really serious rankings boost and if that horse is nature strip well he's already the world number five i've mentioned that compact of nature he's so exposed in a good way i mean uh, after 21 group race efforts that he can't really go flying above life is good at number one but he too is a candidate to go up to three or two with victory in this really strongly contested race. And we spoke, James, quite a bit last week about the Saudi Cup, which is just over a week away, and the likely impact on on these rankings, and also cast forward to the Dubai World Cup and all the good American horses who might who might run there, including Hot Rod Charlie, who sits at, at number 10. Hot Rod Charlie, of course, has got lots of form from last year mm. with two of the Saudi Cup protagonists, Mandaloon and, and Midnight Bourbon. Is victory for either of them like to pro- likely to propel Hot Rod Charlie further up these charts ahead of his own date with destiny? Yeah, I'd say that's probably right, yeah. And, and these are horses that we have a lot of respect for rankings-wise. These are horses whose form is very solid. It's worked out. Whenever they've appeared on the track, they've done what was expected, and there have been yawning gaps back to other horses, strengthening the concept that they're well above average for uh, horses of their generation. And it's an intriguing picture at the moment because you get the feeling watching these horses. And Midnight Bourbon's a, a, a favourite of mine. He, he's A record is laughable as a top-notch horse at the moment, but his form is not laughable, if you know what I mean. He doesn't win much, but he's been chasing home some very strong horses and only marginal improvement from him will see him develop into a world-class animal. His trainer, Steve Asmussen, says that that is coming. And so I'm really excited to watch him, Hot Rod Charlie and Mandaloon in competition this year. I'm predicting that the four-year-olds over in America are going to be very strong. What about the, the four-year-olds in, in Europe? What are, the, what are the horses closest to Baid who are trained in Britain, Ireland and France currently in the rankings? 
well, you, you have to go a long way down uh, to find horses of, of that class, really. And this is an interesting theme of the rankings. For a long time now, since we started, the rankings have reflected that the distribution of talent around the world is not the same as the world's best racehorse rankings would have you believe. And the reason for that not is not that the, the, the handicappers who make those classifications are not competent, they are highly competent, but it's because they reflect rather, in my opinion, in the, ranking, in the opinion of the rankings, outdated beliefs about where the centers of power are. And you've already mentioned in this conversation the fact that we're previewing races and looking ahead to races that are taking place in the Middle East and elsewhere. And I think that changing landscape is a very interesting theme of global uh, racing right now. This Saudi Cup is a very significant event, inclined to be dismissed as just one of these kind of novelty races with a ton of cash thrown at it. It's already developing significant momentum. It's linking, it links quite nicely to the Dubai World Cup. Bahrain is ever strengthening its racing uh, calendar as well. And when you add in the fact that Australian racing's on the rise, Hong Kong racing remains strong and is getting, str and getting stronger over time. And it doesn't need me to go on any more about the quality of Japanese racing. We're seeing that the traditional hegemony of European horses, as reflected in TRC global rankings, is readily disappearing. And so whilst three-year-olds from last year who could develop into top-notch horses, horses like Hurricane Lane and Adayar from Godolphin, for example. Hurricane Lane is number 17, Adayar is down at 36, could make the step up. They've got quite a bit to prove going into the season. And at the moment, if you look at our horse rankings on thoroughbredracing.com, you will see a very cosmopolitan look at the top of the rankings, a disparate picture with the top horses scattered all around the world. And I strongly contend that that reflect, reflects not only the results on the track, but the underlying influence of breeding programs around the world as well, particularly in Japan. But increasingly, the rise of Godolphin in the Middle East is empowering uh, that racing circuit in Dubai to look even, to be taken even more seriously. And then this Saudi Arabian contest is, well, I, I, I think it's really exciting. And it's, that's, it's tempting horses from America uh, to go over in increasing numbers. You know, it's developing into a threat to the Breeders' Cup Classic, I reckon, as the world's top dirt race. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see that trend and monitor it over the next few years. But it's a cracker this year for sure. And I can't wait to see it. Well, thanks to James. Rishi is still with me. Uh, and thanks also to, to Sheikh Salman and Emma here in Bahrain earlier on. Um, interestingly, Rishi, the Middle East has taken a whole lot today. Uh, Dubai, <laughs> Qatar, and here in, in Bahrain. So you can watch, you can watch Bahrain and, and certainly uh, Dubai on, on Racing TV starting in about an hour and a half. Yes, you can. Um, and that is where I'm heading for my selection today, to, to Dubai, to Maidan. The very first race today, Nick, um, on a six-race pad uh, is a handicap on dirt. There's a horse running drawn stall one that um, has made the running and won over course and distance a couple of times, and that's Imperial Empire. Uh, he is the favourite, but he's got all the right uh, tools for the race. Drawn stall one, plenty of pace, 
Uh, as long as he gets away, I think that is it. Okay, Rishi, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Charlotte's on holiday this week. I will be back with you on Monday. That was Friday, February the 18th. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.